This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Spear Factor Spearfishing Podcast. I'm your host, Brett, and today's guest is from the state of Rhode Island. We've had a couple guys on from Rhode Island, um, but... He is a gun builder, and we speak to Mr. Nick Novakovich about his guns, and one of the questions that I asked him when he said he was interested in being on the show was, you know, we've had a lot of people on this show that build guns. What makes your guns unique? And one of the, you know, a couple of the things he said to me was that he's been working a lot on his cuttlefish design so that it flies through the water easily when he's you know tracking a fish and then also just the unique hunting up there in the northeast um, we had a pretty good chat about the gun design and about just diving in general up there and i hope you guys enjoy the show don't forget if you want to step up your spear fishing go ahead and check out spearfishingmentor.com there's spear fishing classes one of them's for free give you a little bit of an idea of what to expect. If you were to purchase the master class, there's over five hours of information on there for you guys. So be sure to check out spearfishingmentor.com. Now I'd like to thank our sponsor, Mr. Ted Hardy of Immersion Freediving. Uh, enter promo code SPEARFACTOR for 15% off uh, on his 28-day freediving transformation course. And uh, it's pretty awesome. I've used it and I recommend it. So you can find this course and the other courses Ted puts out for us at freedivingsafety.com. Um, like I said, enter the promo code SPEARFACTOR for the discount. And thanks, Ted, for sponsoring the show. Our next sponsor is Hot Rod Spear Guns. Uh, Paul has offered us 10% discount with a promo code SPEARFACTOR. So thanks, Paul, for making badass guns and uh, providing a hookup for our listeners. And Camiris Side Slip. So Kamira Side Slip, you can purchase those at Kamira Spearfishing. That's K-I-M-E-R-A. And basically, I've talked about the side slip before on the show. It's kind of the benefits of a slip tip without worrying about breaking your tip hunting around rocks. Uh, it replaces the flopper with a side slip. 
Uh, check it out more at the website. And if you use promo code SPEARFACTOR, all lowercase, at checkout, they'll give you 5% off. And if you'd like to uh, sponsor Spear Factor Podcast, feel free. Uh, you can go ahead and shoot me a note on the website, spearfactor.com. Thank you. Okay. Welcome back to Spear Factor. Today's guest is Mr. Matthew Novakovic. Correct? Yep. All right. Cool. Spot um, on. From the little teeny state of Rhode Island. And yep. uh, he's here to talk about um, his experience in diving and his he, he has a spearfishing company but um, uh, where he makes guns, but also to talk about how he kind of got into the sport of spearfishing and just life in general and the joys of being an East Coast diver up in the freezing waters. Um, and so that that would be really nice to talk about that as well, too, because this morning my wife took the dog out to go to the bathroom and she's like, I can't believe you get up and surf in this. It's freezing. I'm like, well, it could be a lot worse. I was hugging her. And I go, well, uh, I can tell you guys on the East Coast are going out and it's like ice. Yeah. And we're complaining because it's 48 or, you know, 50, but it'll be nicer in the day. But Oof. anyways, Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Really excited to sit down and talk. Yeah, and thank you for uh, reaching out and and uh, you know wanting to chat with me. We had a pretty good chat yes uh, a couple of days ago, but um, we were starting a little bit like as we always do. What's your background and all of that stuff? But really, just jumping into it, what are you doing right now in spearfishing? Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, with regarding what my business, my business or like exactly like the, the current season, because well, there no, is no, no. your business and just like where you're at with like spearfishing your business, right. your yeah. goals, your business. And then, um, you know, currently like maybe not right now because it's so cold, but, uh, you know, uh, where you're at as far as like, Hey, I'm enjoying this currently. I have these goals, whatever like that. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I, uh, so I, I'm in my, in my, I'm in my thirties and, uh, I unfortunately got into spearfishing way too late in my life, probably in my mid to late twenties. Um, I've been an entire, a lifelong, um, lived on the water. I started off in Maryland. That's where I grew up. My dad grew up on the outer banks. Um, so I've done a ton of saltwater fishing, grew up hunting, um, doing a lot of hunting, deer hunting, turkey hunting, dove, um, duck. Um, but really never got into the, the spear fishing game. I tried it once in high school down the Outer Banks in North Carolina. I made myself a little pole spear with some surgical tubing and a dowel rod. Swam out to a wreck that I knew, I knew where the wreck was. Uh, dove on it, terrible viz. Knocked the mask off, flooded it. Got scared that a shark was going to eat me and swam back and said that was terrible. Um, Later on in life, I, uh, you know, I, I went to, I went, I ended up going to the Merchant Marine Academy because I wanted a life on the water. Um, now I work at a shipyard building really cool ships. Um, so I pretty much set myself up for a life on the water. Um, and in my, in my, in my pastime when I'm not at work, I've fished a lot with a, a, a core group of friends. And one of them through a friend at work got into spearfishing. And next thing you know, I heard he was spearfishing and repurposed my surf suit and off we went spearfishing and never really looked back. 
Um, and then from there, my dad had a custom home, uh, custom woodworking business um, where I grew up working for him, um, you know, doing high-end trim work on really, really nice, fancy houses. Uh, so I had a background in woodworking and I had a garage full of tools. So I started seeing these wooden guns guys had and I said, oh, I could, I could do that. Um, so I started off, I built, I built one gun for myself, completely not intending to ever build one for anyone. Just, I just, I wanted a gun that more suited my hunting style and, you know, the cold murky water poking in rocks and holes and the 90 centimeter rear, rear handle Rob Allen wasn't going to cut it. Uh, so I built myself this short little tog pistol as we refer to it. <laughs> and, um, cause we're hunting to tog that, you know, they hole up in the rocks and it's murky and you don't really need much to poke around in those holes. Uh, so I built one posted on, uh, some Facebook groups, uh, spear gun building Facebook groups and the guy reached out and wanted a gun. So I started building, I built him one and some dive buddies, some guns. And before you knew it, um, my wife, who's, she's an MBA. She's like, you know, you should, you should pretty, you should probably incorporate the business and make an LLC um, for taxes and, you know, protection, asset protection. So that's what we did. And uh, next thing you know, I've, I've, I'm always, my, I guess my approach to building guns is I've tried to, I try to take all the lessons learned from the past gun and make the current gun I'm working on the best gun. Um, and because of that, the guns have really come a long way. Um, I've been building guns since 2020. Um, and now it's 2023. And I think I've, I built as many guns in 2023 as I did in 2020. Um, I made like 50 or 60 guns last year and really I'm setting up, I'm setting up on a pace to build even more this year. So, um, the, the, the building process is still a passion for me. I, I've stuck away. I've strayed away from, you know, modern power tools. I, I still use them. It's, I, it's not by rule. I stick with hand tools, but I, I, um, the current shape I have on my guns, I do a lot of cuttlefish guns. I really build anything anyone asks me. I work with the customer. It's really built to order. Whatever the customer work uh, provides me, I would kind of work with that to build them the, the gun that they want. Um, I built one of the guns that I've really, I feel like I've honed the style is the cuttlefish shape. Um, and it is that, that gun has really revolutionized my business. I, I think I've built more cuttlefish guns than any other gun combined. Um, and, and to get that, I really need, I use hand planes and chisels and spoke shaves to really, to get that, to get that shape down. Um, you need a CNC machine to, uh, to get it. And that's really outside my budget. And I don't really want to play on a computer. I want to go play in my shop with my tools. So, so a couple of things about the cuttlefish that you mentioned. What are the benefits of having a, a cuttlefish design? And when you're talking about shaping things with your hands, how many hours would you say it takes, you know, man hours to make one of your guns? Yeah, so we'll start with the, the the benefits of the cuttlefish shape. So you know they're they're wood guns, so they they start off with a blank. And if you think about your your standard off the shelf wooden guns, you know JBLs, Rifes, they're solid guns. They're pretty rugged, but they have that square body, right? And uh, when you go to when you go to track that through the water, you get a bunch of resistance. It's trying to almost swing a barn door through the water. Um, what you do with the cuttlefish is I can really because you, you shape the way they're shaped. They have a really wide mid body 
Um, if so, in, in profile, if you're looking down at the gun, it has a really wide mid body, which I can make a lot of ballast in there, which helps with recoil. Um, but then at the the end, the muzzle and the butt, I can taper it down to really fine, um, a really fine shape that will not provide a lot of hydrodynamic resistance. Um, then if you look at the side profile, it's almost shaped like a blade, a knife blade. Everyone, everyone jokes about that they look like a sword, and they really cut through the water like a, a hot knife through butter when when you're tracking a fish. Um, so that's like the performance benefit of it is you know it really cuts through the water, um, and you can really add a lot of mid body mass without sacrificing that drag, uh, which helps with recoil. Um, but then of course you know you're it's a custom gun and it it really does look custom because it the, the lines on them I think are just aesthetically you can't beat it. So that's really, it's really that there is a performance benefit and I just think they look really good. <laughs> also, I kind of noticed with the cuttlefish or just wider body guns, because I have mm -hmm. one that looks like a um, two by four, I guess, uh, that you get, if you get the kick though, but you don't get that flip because yeah, it's, res yeah, it, it doesn't want to rise up as much more or less back and forth. Um, but how many with you using just your hands though um from personal experience i I know how long <laughs> like for me, um, but I'm not doing fine cuttlefish work, so how long does it take for you to make a gun? How long it make to take to make a gun is that's a that's a hard one. I get asked that one a lot um from end to end it really it takes close to i i think like four to six weeks um but a lot of that is uh you know you know, that, and that's from from the time someone uh, approaches me, we we settle down all, upon a design, and then I go off and purchase the material because um, I'm, I'm it's it's a pretty low volume operation I'm running here. I don't have a inventory of parts and wood because honestly, within the last two years, the prices have absolutely skyrocketed. Especially teak, teak has gone up, and spear shafts have gone through the roof. Um, but you know. The actual shaping process, once I, I've done it so much this time, like, honestly, I, I can, I can shape a gun in probably 45 minutes to the point where it's ready to go sand. Um, from the time, you know, I have a clean blank. The blank is all set up, the trigger mechanism, the trigger mechanism and the track I route in with um, power tools, uh, just basically a router table. Um, and then uh, I have jigs I've, I've developed to, to really, speed that process which i didn't have at first and honestly the, the first cuttlefish shape gun i built took me probably eight hours <laughs> but uh i still have that one hanging on the wall i don't use it anymore because i real the, the the shape has been refined as I, I went along so um but yeah no it's the the shaping process is probably my favorite because I, I got my all my woodworking tools out my the hand tools and i can really just get in a groove and go um, I think half the battle with that is understanding the the laying out the lines and what works, what doesn't work, um, and really understanding the process. Um, but I had a, uh, I actually this this summer I had an intern, a uh, high schooler who actually approached me. He wanted to do an internship and in, in science and technology inter internship, and he approached a local sporting good manufacturer. <laughs> which is me. Um, and he asked if he could do his internship and he wanted to, to, you know, shadow me and potentially build a gun. 
and uh, I was able to walk them through because I, I, you know, I've gotten the process to the point I could. I, it was actually really enjoyable to sit down and I don't think I touched his touched the spear gun once. Uh, he walked. He, I I I, t I set him up every every day. He would come over. He would come over and I'd walk through one of the uh, one of the whatever the tool we were working with. The very basics. He had no zero, zero skill. I was able to walk him through tool by tool, and all the credit to him. Um, he he was very receptive and listened to what I was saying and just sat down and whatever operation I told him, whether we were routing the track or cutting a, a Mac pocket, he, uh, he would just sit down and just sit in the corner of the shop and work on that. And I would work on my guns. And by the end of it, he, he built himself a beautiful gun. I probably couldn't tell apart from my own guns. So, but he that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's rare nowadays. I feel like too. I mean, just to, take the bull by the horns and, and go and knock that out. I mean, um, credit to him and his parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I couldn't have been happier. I, other, other guys have approached me since then. I just, I just, I don't know when I'm just talking to them, I could, they were more about the instant gratification while he was there for the process. So. Right. Um, yeah, I've, I've made guns before and I, I always say like when I'm done making one, um, I'm like, I'll never do that again. Like, I, I do it every like few years, whatever, if I need, yeah. a, if I need a gun, but it's like 30 hours of like when you're having to set up, measure everything. And I kind of oh, like, yeah. for me, it was like 30 man hours by the time I start to finish. Right. And I imagine it's much faster, but then I did realize like if I had extra wood, I, I remember I made six at one time because once you do all the measurements, you just cut, 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 cut. Oh, hundred percent. I've I've done that. Also, having do batching them helps because, you, like you said, you can do all one measurement. You have your tool, whatever measuring tool you have set up, you can just go. Same thing when you have like the router table set up on center for one board, you can just run them all through. The setup for the the power tools takes a decent amount of time. Um, but if you like you said, if you batch and I try to batch them, and it, it goes way quicker when you do. Um, but just really, I, I've just, I, I made like, I have in my shop, I have a playbook of just like step-by-step step what, what step I have to do. Cause there's certain processes, especially with the, um, the cuttlefish shape, you know, they have that, uh, they have, they have a lot of curves. And if you cut one of the curves before you have drilled all your pins, oh, it's game over. A very expensive piece of uh, firewood. On your I did hands. that once. And then yeah. I had to re-glue like some whatever it was just to make it square oh yeah so that i could yeah yeah i remember doing that once and i'm like oh, oh that was sickening. that was dumb looking it was back a sickening, it's a sickening feeling yeah um well i remember uh when we had talked when we talked on the phone before uh what is it ocean spear guns up in your area up in the north he yeah. had a, he made a super good tutorial for like step by step by step by step. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a, what is it? How do you pronounce his name again? I think it's Ocean, but um, a a o s h u n. Yeah, he's out on Long Island. Um, funny thing about him is, um, you would you would think in the the custom spear gun building business, you would think everyone would be very guarded and. And of the knowledge there, but um, almost to a to a, to a man, I think everyone who I've ever approached has, is very forthcoming with any information, tips, and tricks. 
Um, it's, it's a really neat community that half the guy, like the majority of the guys out there with these the smaller businesses, we, we, we're all talking in the background about tips and tricks and how to, from, from the business aspect of things, how to improve the business, the marketing, or even just the actual building. Um, and, and, and Dean with, and with ocean, he actually, I was talking to him at one point about tooling. Um, this was when I was still relatively new in, 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 in the business. And I was, I was thinking about getting a CNC machine and he gave me the, the really, the advice that really set me on my current course, which was if you get a CNC machine, it might help the, it might speed the actual manufacturing process, but you're going to still put the same amount of time into that gun. You're going to, but you're going to sit behind a computer and you're going to become a designer and you're going to press the button and then the machine's going to make it versus spending time in the shop, perfecting your craft and Really, I, I at that point that he sold it for me, and uh, I just went really invested in some decent hand tools. And I, he, true to his word, it's honestly I've been just every gun. It's it's practice. It's just doing repetitions, and I'm on my like I think sixtieth gun, seventieth gun right now. And if you think every single one of those is hours on wood to, hand hand tools, you you, can, you learn some things. So. Um, I really credit him with a lot of where I am today. So, and a lot of the all the other spirit custom guys there. It's a good it's a good group of guys for sure. I I second that. I mean, I can list you know ten guys right now that I have spoke to, um, including like Paul from Hot Rod Spear Guns. Uh -huh. Like all the guys have given me tricks that you would think they would guard, um, but I mean, I, I guess like I'm not trying to compete with anybody, but just their openness and um, ability to just try to perfect, uh, I don't know, just to help everybody out, that lack of like trying to not be competitive. Oh, 100%. And I honestly, I could see the the mentality of like if, if I was in, in that position, whoever it was, I it had to have been one of the first spear gun, custom gun builders had to have set the good precedent because I came into it like kind of trying guarded, you know, you, you don't, you don't know what the lay of the land is. You're coming in trying to figure some stuff out. So you ask, you get up the nerve, ask a few questions, and then you're pretty much the, the doors are thrown open for you and the guys are really, really forthcoming. And then, so that really changes your mindset on it. So then when the next guy comes, people have approached me and asked me things and where, you know, your initial gut reaction is like, if I tell him how to build a gun, then he's not going to buy one of my guns. But, uh, it really changed my outlook on it and people have reached out to me and I've given them advice on how I do things. It's, but the cool thing about spear guns is there's no right way to do it. And there's no wrong way. To, well, there is a wrong way to do it, <laughs> but, uh, there's, I feel there, like there's, there's a no, very wrong way to do it, but then oh, there, there is, and I'm very opinionated sometimes, but, uh, yeah. but there's like a lot of right ways to do it. And then there's yes. like one very wrong way to do it <laughs> like, yeah. or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's a little gray area. Others, I guess there's a lot of gray area. It just depends on what, like you had mentioned before, being where you're diving, like there are certain ways to do things for the environment you're in. And when we talked, we talked about sh hunting was the same kind of thing. You've got 12-gauge shotgun, you got a 30-odd-6, you got a 22, you got, you know, 308, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. For all these different animals. And it seems like spearfishing, next thing you know, you blink and you've got like six or eight guns and you're like, oh, yeah. what yeah. the hell did I do? Yeah. 
Exactly. And if, it's even worse if you build them yourself, because then all the profits from building the spear guns goes into buying more parts for your own guns. That's literally what it was when I was making um, blanks. I was like, I'll just sell the blanks so that somebody else can, can make guns. And then I'll just yeah. use the money from the blanks sold to make my own gun. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not making any money here. Um, yeah, well... Um, so for you, where, how would you describe, and we talked about it, your whole hunting for Tog, um, and then obviously up there, you guys have striped bass. Oh, yeah. Um, what, what would you say, like, when you're diving, how would you describe the type of diving, the type of hunting that you guys do there? Is it like deep diving? Is it more scour? Is it both, like scouring around rocks? Is it like sit and wait, a speto style or whatever? Um, yes. Yeah, so it really changes with the season um, and really what you're targeting. Um, the, the tog and the black sea bass, they, they really congregate either in, you know, breakwaters, rock walls, under piers, really in that they, they, they thrive on that structure and they're, they're especially early season. They're, they're hold up pretty deep and you got to, you know, poke your head into some, some dark holes with some flashlights poke around. Um, so that, that's really the, the methodology there. Um, later in the season, they'll, they'll, and, and it's really the, the, the hunting that I absolutely love is uh, drifting over the reefs. We got a pretty, um, we got a really cool ecosystem here. There's a lot of different types of, um, fishing. Uh, we have the Narragansett Bay, which is this big estuary um, that's full of islands and islands and um, and rock point rock points, both submerged and and you know above above the water. Um, but then we have this big white South County has this huge open sandy beach. So it's it's more like a I wouldn't have thought of it as a New England type style beach but it's it's really just just one strip actually wait a second i'm sure we're on a podcast but on my map shirt right here along this this uh this this is all just one big continuous sandy beach maybe one or two rock piles on it um but then don't, don't worry i'll put the visual up on youtube oh, yeah. so we'll have that just too. rubbing my chest <laughs> you rubbing your chest my wife sneaking in behind trying to get ready to go yeah. it'll be good don't worry i wasn't distracted at all like what is going on <laughs> <laughs> anyway well, i told her i go i could see you like yeah um but so so we have a, a huge uh different we did we have a, a a huge amount of different types of hunting which is cool because depending on where that what the condition the conditions of the day are and the season you can really tailor how how you hunt um then we have of course you know new england this whole long island southern new england is where the glaciers stopped um, during the last ice age, and they pushed up all these furrows of rock. That's actually what Long Island is, is where the, the glacier stopped. Um, and because of that, we have these these very pronounced reef systems along South County um, in Rhode Island that they go from 70, 80 feet of water up to, I don't know, 10, 15 at, at places in, in a very short period of time. And we have these pretty strong currents due to the inrush of the tide in and out of uh, Long Island Sound. And pretty much my favorite diving that we, we do we, we do is we, we drift dive those. So we, we drift them during during uh, the current, uh, the tide swings. Uh, two guys will get in the water, you know, you're one up, one down, buddy diving. 
Um, then we'll have a guy on the boat and we'll drift, drift over those reefs, you know, hitting 50, 60 feet. And then you'll just hit at the next drop. Whoever, whoever gets the next drop is on top of the reef. And the next guy is on the backside of the reef. And then you're off the reef into sand. Um, but those, that's like, we, we like that during midsummer. Um, cause you never, you never know what you're going to find down there. You know, you've got black sea, black sea bass, tatog, scup. Um, and those reefs are also loaded with those striper too, as well. Um, so it's really a mixed bag. Um, and, and of course we have block Island, which is, you know, some le a legendary striped bass fishing, but that's a, a little bit deeper. It's in the 50 to 70 foot range. Um, just dropping on big, big schools of them when they congregate there. So it's, it's really, it, it all depends. We, we got a little bit of all the different kinds of diving and even there's offshore too. Um, if you have money and, you just want to make yourself sad <laughs> and poor. We, <laughs> I feel like us Southern Californians understand that well too. Um, yeah. With uh, the water, how's the water temperature vary throughout the season? And then like the visibility. Um, early season and like really right now it's, it's so clear in the wintertime. It's, it's, it's either super clear or murked up. Uh, it, it's because in the middle of the summer you get a bunch of, um, uh, algae that forms and it just it just the visibility gets really green and murky um right now it is crystal clear um unless you know storm comes up and spins things up but it'll, it'll clear up pretty good so early season we got some pretty decent viz um but it, it's really variable depending on the the tides and the winds um uh, for the, the the previous couple days um someday we'll get really lucky and have 15 feet of viz and some days it'll be can't see the end of your gun but the weird thing about it is it's it's also very location based because i've been out hunting and had incredible viz and i friends right up the beach like 15 20 miles up the beach will be comparing gopro footage and they're like where were you and I'm like, oh, wouldn't you like to know but um so that's as far as viz it's really grab bag we don't get great we don't ever get great viz 20 feet is 20 feet is a, a good day in my opinion um water temps right now i think it's 42 which is we've had a really warm winter um it's made surfing really enjoyable <laughs> um we're not really hunting and we don't really start hunting until it hits 50 that'll be probably mid-april time frame will hit 50. um that being said with this warm it's it's only 42 right now this is usually the coldest it'll get i would think early april we're you're gonna hit 50 and that's when the when you really start to see the species come alive um and then I think we get up to like the, the low 70s in the middle of summer and then back down. Um, the cool thing is, of course, um, water loses its its temperature really slowly. So we'll get, the, even though the temperatures start to drop September, October timeframe, you can dive comfortably well into November because um, the water temperature stays up. And, you know, I've, I've shot, I've shot, or a friend of mine has shot a, a striped bass, like, I want to say the the Thanksgiving weekend, which is incredible. We never expected to see that guy roll through there, and he comes up with a bass, and he's like, "You're never gonna believe this." It's like, oh. but I think that's one of the cool things about spearfishing is you really never know what you're gonna find. This episode is brought to you by Neptonics Spearfishing. Uh, go check out Neptonics.com for the absolute best, most reliable spearfishing gear at some of the best prices in the market as well. 
Uh, the thing that I like about Neptonix is you know the gear has been tested on there and they're not going to have some generic crap on there. It's all gear that works and people use it every day uh, with great results. So don't forget to put in the Spear Factor 10 promo code to get 10% off. Neptonics.com So I get this question a lot as far as can I recommend a charter? And I absolutely can. Lineage Charters here in San Diego uh, does giant bluefin tuna trips, uh, multi-day trips, and Captain Bly is your guy. He's got over 30 years of spearfishing and commercial fishing experience. So be sure to check out lineagecharters.com for offshore action. Let's talk a little bit about the offshore um, addiction that I say it's addiction. It's like an abusive yeah. relationship, I call it. Like, it is. It's an abusive uh -huh. relationship. Oh, man. Um, out there, how's that How's that uh, turn out? Like, how, how do you guys, what are your target? Um, do you guys get Wahoo up there when it gets really that warm or no? Uh, we do get Wahoo. Um, they are very few and far between on the uh, spear up here. Um, I know a couple guys have gotten them, but... You, they do catch them pretty uh, regularly on rod and reel, but it's not really a species. You never go out. Oh yeah. I'm going out Wahoo hunting. It's like, you're going to go out tuna fishing and maybe come up with a Wahoo. Um, What's the technique yeah. you guys use for that? I mean, like out here, we're obviously spotting big boils, foamers of, of fish, yeah. but then we, we have also, you know, kelp floating, offshore will jump on and you never know what's going to be on those anything from like you know perch to a great white like you just right. don't know what's going to be on them most of the time it's yellowtail and dorado but is it is there things like that out there uh we don't have the kelp patties like you guys do but we do i mean we're really running looking for the birds working over boils um but if we do see some you know anything floating from a milk jug to a crate to a, a, a old deck that's been washed off someone's house on a hurricane um you never know what's going to be hiding under that you no know, guys last year shot a bunch of mahi mahi within sight of block island they have these wind turbines too off of block island they're putting a project in which is um but uh they're right off of the south shore of block island and they saw they were inside of that and they were shooting mahi mahi which was pretty incredible to see so very cool that goes back to just you never know what you're going to get i think right. with the whole addiction thing to the offshore i think that's what it is it's like big you know big risk high reward um, yeah it's like low uh, frequency yeah. yeah it's like uh, i compare it to deer hunting and duck hunting with duck hunting you're going to see a lot more ducks and you're going to shoot a lot more ducks but they're not going to be big and with antlers and you're not going to have that heart in your mouth feeling Versus you go out and freeze your ass off an entire season and maybe one big buck steps in front of you. So, Right. So with you, um, well, let's talk a little bit about land hunting, I guess. Out there, um, Rhode Island, well, I guess let me cover this. Let me ask you this question. With Rhode Island and the Northeast seems to be growing in popularity from what I hear with diving, which is great. Mm -hmm. Do you, with Rhode Island being so small, are there like issues with just you go out to your dive spot and there's like four guys in the water? I mean, have you guys run into that yet? Because it's happening here. I've noticed it. Um, yes and no. Um, you go out on the water. Um, we have a real a pretty tight knit dive community up here. 
you'll go out on the water and it's happened before you'll you'll see guys but we have the like i said we have these reef systems and a, a big a big portion of how we hunt these reef systems is drifting them and it really i mean they're 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 miles north to south and the, the current's going east to west so unless you have like this honey hole that you know you have the coordinates on which you know happens you know which corners of the reefs work when or you have a good idea um, but really you're chasing the fish so they could be anywhere up and down that reef system and you know you'll see a couple of boats out working the reefs uh, of course there's a lot of rod and reel guys that you're drifting in and out of too who are just jigging uh where where you're diving um but it's never it, in those scenarios that you see them you dive you you probably know them too and i've run a, run into them before and they're like oh no the the they're over just south of the number seven can or whatever it is. So the, so um, that that happens. Um, there are a couple spots when you know your little little tog holes or like little jetties or breakwaters that only hold so many divers. You'll you'll be running around, maybe, maybe see a guy there. But I'd say that's the exception, especially I mean, especially if you're get out on the water early, <laughs> which uh, us with families kind of have to do. Um, so. No, that's a good point. So, because I'm in your shoes, how do you, you're, you're a diver, you're a spear gun manufacturer for all those dads out there and moms, um, that spearfish, uh, do you have any tips on balancing all of this that like work a regular job? Um, I mean, have you, do you have like, have you worked, do you have any tips? Yeah. For that. Um, Sacrifice sleep. <laughs> the only thing that <laughs> is feasible to sacrifice. Um, but um, I don't know. I, I, I do have a profession and I try to be good at that. I have family and I try to be a good father and a uh, husband. Um, my wife is very supportive of it. And I try to, you know, try to reciprocate. You know, I don't get out diving or surfing every day I want to. Um, but I we, we, we have a pretty we, we've maintained it for a very, very long time. So ever since we've had kids is really. Uh, try to target one week or one day or weekend evening or morning that, you know, I, 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 I'm, you know, good swells coming in or conditions look great to dive. It's like, you know, I want to go out Saturday morning, whatever she has the kids then. And then I I'll reciprocate, you know, um, and you know, she, she'll want to go to workout class or go out with her friends to a vineyard. And it's like, I got the kids for that. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter if the conditions are great. You're not going out cause you got the kids and, and that's good too, because you know, love my kids and I want to be with there with them too. So it's really trying to find that balance and understanding you're not going to be able to chase every single good biz day and, um, and, and be, and really just being able to reciprocate. And I think the biggest thing for me is just looking out for her. Cause if I just say, Hey, it looks nice out. I'm going to go. She's not going to tell me no, but that's cause she knows that if I've gone diving two days in a row or two, two times in a row and she hasn't got a timeout, I'm going to say, Hey, it's, it's your fair share. Do you want, you, what do you want to do? I got the kids and I'll offer her that opportunity that she wouldn't look out for herself. I, I love what you just said because I've experienced that with my own wife and at work with some of my employees and friends that, uh, will just say yes, yes, yes. And I don't, mm -hmm. and, and they're pleasers. And I'm like, no, no, no. I need to hear like your honest opinion. Yeah. Um, and I'll say that to, to partners out there, um, I, I feel like uh, nature. My 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 buddy was talking to this about was just talking to this to me about um, surfing and diving. 
it's all condition based, right? Oh, so yeah. it's like we have this bad habit of we got to drop everything and go because you never know. And then yeah. you get older and, and you're like, well, it'll always, there'll always be another swell. It just might be five, 10 years for that type of swell. But, but, um, that doesn't necessarily mean you miss out on it, but I mean, your partner in order to make this whole thing work with the way that we have chosen to, cause we chose it. I mean, it is what it is to have our hobbies and live our life. There's a lot of sacrifice, but we have to make sure that we take care of our partners because our wives and our husbands, like they want you to be happy. And they'll always say, it's like the giving tree, you know, like they'll give, give, give. And then the resentment kicks in somewhere subtle, like, okay, I'm done. So I guess like right along your, my, my advice would be to, Exactly what you did because you brought it up is that no, okay, we be mature. It's time. It's your turn. Oh yeah. <laughs> and if it's and if you say no, I don't mind if you go. Okay, well, I'm gonna make sure that you at least have something that you have your time. Like, right? Does you, does your wife does she have any interest in diving or fishing or surfing? Or um, she's not as much dive. Well, she she has told me she wants to dive. She's a very competitive person. She was a D1 athlete. And so she's very competitive. Um, doesn't think she can hold her breath for more than 15 seconds. I guarantee you she can hold her breath for two minutes, but whatever. Yeah. Um, so she, she wants to try it, but you know, we have, we have kids and uh, just really haven't gotten the opportunity where mom and dad are out on the boat and having the opportunity to spearfish without kids. Um, yes. That's not really, her that's not her passion or what drives her um she does love being out on the water and that's really something i think that i feel like i'm in the point where i'm paying my taxes right now eventually i'm gonna have to reap reap my rewards i'm trying to instill on my children this deep love and appreciation of the ocean and everything ocean sports you know fishing surfing diving whatever sailing um so i'm putting in the time now whenever i get a chance i get them on the water and try to make it as fun as possible so that and it's completely, it sounds all beautiful and everything, but it's completely self-serving <laughs> in 10 years from now. I'm gonna, I just hope that one of them becomes like a big surfer and all he wants to do is go surfing with that. I've only got, I got one out of three that right. just wants so to then, get in the water. It's my youngest one. So there's a chance. So yeah, yeah there's a chance. All you need yeah, is one. So that's, and then you that's really say, my, hey. uh, that's my, that's my evil plan. So. Right. And really then, just, then you can always go, Hey, or, you know, she wants to go or he wants to go. I got it. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm go. doing it for the kids, honey. I'm doing it for the kids. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. And then, I mean, she does, my wife does love to go out on the boat and that, that's something that the spearfishing business has really enabled me to go buy a boat. That's a big, uh, it's 23 foot cuddy cabin. It's a good family boat. And, you know, just taking the family out on the water, just, I'm not even diving, just going out and catching scup. Right. That's a, that's a good, that's just good, good family fun on the water. So what was her sport in college? You said she's a D1. She, was, she played lacrosse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she's fiery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She gets it. Now, the problem with being a competitive person and spearfishing, you know, I, you have that DNA of like, like be able to flip the switch. And that's like the exact opposite thing you need oh, yeah, for yeah. diving and all of that. You can't be a hype man. With <laughs> no, but I've noticed like competitive, you're like competitive against yourself, right? So it's oh, like, yeah. and it's so self-sabotaging 
where it's oh, like yeah. friends that I know that have like, I don't want to say, uh, that aren't as fiery can hold their breath for like four minutes, you know? Oh yeah. That's it's, something that I definitely, and, and then of course with me, it's like, I, 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 that's why we get along great is because we're both super competitive with each other and ourselves. And it's like, and with, with spearfishing, it's really with yourself. And if like, if I miss a shot or like my bottom time suffering, I get in my head and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then I'm just absolutely measurable. And people who really don't care if they shoot a fish or they don't really care what their bottom time is. And I guess we gotta, we gotta watch out for that for those of us who are competitive because that you can get yourself into trouble and push yourself to a place you shouldn't be. Yeah, that's an important thing. I have a friend who was a professional surfer. He was like number nine or in the world or something at one point. And he said, hey, you know, and I've said this before. He's like, hey, Brett, people like us die spearfishing mm -hmm. because we're so competitive and so driven um, about the goal or the end result. And at the time, you know, things go to the wayside. And the next thing you know, you're you whatever happens, happens. And then it's not good. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so for you, did you grow up in Rhode Island or what's your background? No, I grew up in Maryland. So I did a lot of fishing on the Chesapeake Bay um, and the eastern shore of Maryland. Um, and, but my dad grew up out, down on the Outer Banks and my grandma, she had a house down there. She, always, she lived down there. Um, and we would go. So we would spend long, a long time on the, the Outer Banks fishing and I mean, we would go down in there. My, my, some of my favorite childhood memories are taking the boat down to North Carolina in like the October, November timeframe, just camping out on islands and just fishing. But, uh, Very really cool. getting and we, we still go down there. I mean, vacation down there, of course, we still have the family house down there. Um, of course now we go spear fishing. Um, they have some great spear fishing down there too. So yeah. And some good waves too. With the, oh, so, yeah. so the thing about, if you're listening, um, the banks and correct me if I'm wrong. The best thing about those outer banks is that it's so close to the continental shelf compared to other places on the East coast. Mm -hmm. So there's more waves. You get the more impact kind of West coast style waves. Um, but there's a ton that, of fish. Uh, oh yeah. You have, so the big thing about the, the outer banks is you have, they come out from the, from the South. They, they come up and swing almost North. They, they swing up almost 45 degrees Northeast. Um, and then they come to a point at Cape Hatteras, which actually almost curls down. So you catch any uh, any swell coming in that direction. It really catches it on on, on the beach. Um, the other thing that that is kind of driven the driven that shape of that that the uh, the outer banks right there is the uh, the Gulf Stream. The Gulf Stream is just screaming up. It's closer there anywhere than anywhere else on the east east coast, which is really drives the the fishery they have. I mean, if you think Oregon Inlet, that that's where all the blue water big blue water boats go out of Oregon Inlet um, and they're, they're going to point, um, hit the, the Gulf Stream. It's depending on the season, you know, it's 50, 60 miles out, which is a decent, decent run, but it's closer any, than, than you would elsewhere along the coast. Um, and you really at, at that, that's like really the inflection point where you start seeing Southern fish in, at Hatteras. You see, yeah, because just south of um, just south of Hatteras, you start seeing African pompano, hogfish, Kubera snapper. You go a little bit north, um, and you're you're seeing those more middle mid uh, mid Atlantic fish. Um, so it's a really really cool area. Is there a significant uh, water temperature break there? Um, I'm not as familiar with that. No, I know that's where the the, the I mean. 
you get those fingers of the Gulf Stream that'll peel off and you'll just get really pockets of warm water. Um, the big thing there is really wind direction too, for especially the coastal water temperatures. I, I remember at times if you, if you get uh, the wind coming in the right direction, you'll, it'll push the, uh, the Gulf Stream out and then the uh, Labrador current will push in and it'll be 95 degrees out, humid as all, um, and the water's like 50 degrees just because the Labrador current's just pushing up. And just you're miserable on the beach because you're hot, but the water is so cold. But then the wind will blow the right direction, and then before you know it, it'll be it'll be you know bathtub water. So yeah, the East Coast is so fascinating. I mean, I lived out there for a few years, but um, just because of the temperature change the extreme temperature changes from like 38 degrees to like you said 75 and then the coastline is so much more unique i mean it's unique obviously in its own right but it's just different than anything out here on the west coast i mean the west coast is completely different but um with the islands the sand i mean the shoals and then the continental shelf where you could go out seven miles and still be in like 60 feet of water. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, in some of the Southern States there, and then, you know, up North is, uh, always kind of intriguing to me just because of the Rocky coastline and New Hampshire. And, and then they're getting like, you know, you got your blue fin, your big eye, your, all that stuff. It's all there. And they're, oh, yeah. and it's all, it's very seasonal. Um, very cool. And then now, you know, everyone's talking about, uh, you know, on the Cape there, because I go to Cape sometimes for work, where they get um, Chatham with all the great whites and stuff. Oh, up yeah. There. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. But it's fascinating because you look at the, the rocky coastline and you got to think, man, there's got to be some just really cool reef diving up there. I just... Well, I've actually never done it up there. And I'm always curious, like, what is, can you see the viz? Cause it just seems to me, the East coast just seems like much different type of yeah, situation. Well that, that's really that. Um, that's kind of the first thing that drew me into spearfishing it was for, forget even the fish. I mean, the first time I shot a fish, I was done. It was game over. My life has been altered for forever. Um, but really the first time my friend took me diving and I just, you know, I think it was a rainy day. Yeah, it was a rainy day. It was kind of gray and dreary out. I'm like, we're still going diving in this? Like, he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You're going to be underwater. Who cares? So we went out, and I just remember just see the just the life you saw under the under the, the water line. It just it just took blew my blew me away. And uh, I've just been going back at it for a minute or two at a time. Um, yeah, it was a trip. I think the first time I went East Coast diving for work, we were diving in the mouth of the Chesapeake kind of there. And there was okay. only like a two-foot tidal swing at the time. Yep. And all of us were like, oh, okay, it's not a big deal. Current shouldn't be bad, you know. You got the but, volume. <laughs> right. We were like so stupid. And this is like I'm probably 30, you know. I'm like right. I'm pretty experienced. Yeah. And uh, it was like a river you know running yeah. through there and it was funny it was like oh the vault the giant chesapeake just drains right through this choke point dumbass you know yep um and we figured that out within like minutes right like it was oh like, yeah obviously but the thing that was kind of wild was um this was in may it was like 95 degrees it was a heat wave and my friend went yeah. down 
he went down and then it was like someone hit a light switch. He didn't only be down for like a minute and it just started pouring, right? Cause the, and then he came up and he's coming up and it's just pouring on him. He's like, what the f- just happened? And, it, <laughs> and we're all from like California, right? So we don't yeah. get like, I mean, we've lived other places, but still it was just so funny diving there. And, um, just the rare, the like the variety of how quickly things change there when and then oh yeah all the sandbar sharks there was a lot of sandbar sharks when we were in the chesapeake there but um yeah it's it's a it's a unique place up there especially where you're at because that coastline is just so specific i feel like it have you gone anywhere north from rhode island like up towards Canada, like New Hampshire, Maine, and gone up there, or, you know? I haven't dove much northern. I, I dove the North Shore in Massachusetts once. Uh, I have not dove Maine. I've done a lot of camping and hiking up in Maine, especially coastal Maine. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but I haven't really done much diving up there. Um, I I think the, it, it gets colder, even more colder, uh, and the species start getting smaller. Um, I think that the Maine, New Hampshire area, it, it definitely, the, it's a change in the species that you really see. You start seeing cunner and some fish that, you know, if you're there and dive, like, that's awesome. But I'm where I'm at. If, if I'm chasing anything, I'm trying to, if I'm traveling anywhere to go spearfishing, I'm going to want to go someplace that has warmer and bigger, warmer yeah. and bigger fish than me, which, and I'm, and I'm not complaining about my, the, my fishery here. So, yeah. No, but very yeah, cool. Luckily, my wife is a uh, she's a, a a water a water woman herself. It's all about ocean. Wherever we go vacationing, it's, there's always water, ocean there. So uh, no matter what, my spear gun comes with me. I think every single family vacation for the last four or five years, spear gun has come with. So that 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 helps to have a partner like that too. Where have you gone? Um, have you gone? outside the united states or have you hunted um i haven't gone out of the the united states since uh like with spearfishing no um unfortunately in in college and and right thereafter it, i i was sailing commercial um, commercial ships and i really had an opportunity to dive the world um completely missed that opportunity <laughs> um because i didn't of course didn't spearfish at that point um but since then my my wife and i've traveled inside the u.s you know uh we've gone to hawaii a couple times got to dive out there which is absolutely one of the coolest things ever um spent a couple days on the water diving in hawaii um done florida a bunch so um and when we talked last too you said you were going down to florida to do some hunting um is that something that you do pretty regularly do you have it dialed in down there do you have like contacts no I, I tried to i was I, I was trying to something this year I, I was trying to get wahoo hunting like we said it's a sickness or a, an addiction or self self um, mutilation whatever you want to call it chasing the pelagics i've been i've been after a wahoo for a couple two years now um and i really have yet to connect and really i, I was talking to this guy um he was a sponsor of our local spearfishing club tri-state skin divers um and he's a a guide down there and and we, i had set this i was talking to him about wahoo i'm like when is the time to come down for wahoo's like mid-february i'm like oh that's perfect it'll be like a midway through the winter escape the north come down to the sunny sunny calipers sunny uh sunny florida they call it the sunshine sunshine state i don't know nah. <laughs> so uh 
so we had it all set up and, you know, had flights and whatnot. And the storm of the year, I guess, hit was, it was like a windstorm with like 35 knot winds the day that we were supposed to dive. Of course, I had a, a group of like five or six guys every, trying to coordinate everyone to move their plans to the middle of the week was not going to happen. So ended up, of course, that, that trip just got canceled, but I had non-refundable flights and it was still the middle of the winter and I wanted to dive. So I called up another friend down in Key West and, you know, the wind, wind was looking a little less down there. So we ended up diverting down there. A couple of the guys on the trip, my brother, and my dad, and, uh, we met up down in Key West, did some diving. It was fun. Uh, but it, shooting snapper in 12 feet of water was not shooting Wahoo in crystal clear blue water. <laughs> So, could you have gone out for Wahoo down there or is they not, is it not? We, the, we could have, yeah. uh, and people do chase Wahoo out of there, but it was still, I mean, when I say the wind was better there, it was 20, it wasn't 35. Right. No, I understand. Yeah. Especially, there was the conditions even there on the Gulf, the Gulf, the Gulf coast side was pretty bad. It was mixed up. We, we couldn't go outside of like the, the key, the, there's like a chain of islands down there and, we could. We were on the inside of that. And you could see the on the Gulf side, just these just breakers, and it just we were staying on the inside, trying to find the lee shore, whatever little mangrove or or whatnot, just to salvage something. So it was fun, still like you know, it's fun. But yeah, well, I I, I recently went on a trip too. We did, I didn't pull the trigger one time, um, but yeah. I was telling somebody um, it was more of a kind of a reconnaissance kind of trip, but those. If it wasn't for those trips, then when you go on a on a trip and you manage to connect with a fish, a, you know, a big fish, it wouldn't mean anything if every time you went, oh, it was yeah. like, just go. Oh, it yeah. gets boring after a while, right? Because it's the right. challenge that you like. And I feel like um, we tend to forget that sometimes. It gets so we easy do. to go places and just like, oh, I'm going to go down here and shoot this. And, and half the time you can, just various sizes. But right when you get, and then we beat ourselves up with the the, the social media goggles with every literally every like I was complaining yes. to my wife and I knew I knew I knew exactly what I was saying but it still didn't make it feel any better I was like everyone like literally the week leading up to everyone I think on social media shot a wahoo because you know the wahoos were running and it, like from Puerto Rico up to uh, Puerto Rico up to Florida everyone was shooting wahoos I'm like oh my god everyone's shooting wahoo except for me and like. But you know that's that's social media. It's not it. all the people who don't who go out and got blown out or don't see a damn thing all day long and burn a bunch of gas. There's you don't see that. I'm glad it's not just me because I'll be in Chicago. Last summer I was in Chicago with uh, you know one of my daughter's uh, basketball tournament, and uh, it happened to be like that time frame. We get like a week or two every summer where I think the bluefin act like they're concussed. And they just yep. float around and you could just, you know, anybody could get in and shoot a 200 pound plus bluefin. <laughs> and then the same thing with like our white sea bass here. And like both yep. times I happen to be in the middle of the country and I'm yep. like, it's not fair. Everybody gets to shoot a fish except for me, you know? Oh, yeah. And you, you know, you sound like a big five year old. Oh, but you God. <laughs> I'm like, and my wife's like, listen to you. I'm like, but that's why you're supposed to be. I'm supposed to be vulnerable to you. You only. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, exactly. But yeah, the social media thing, it's funny. It's like you could shoot a fish and 
you it might be your PR and you're so proud of it, right? Then you post it and you're so proud of when you post it. And then one of your butt, whoever posts, like, say you shoot a 50 pound snapper, you know, somebody posts a hundred pound snapper. You're like, oh, oh yeah. the, all of a sudden your fish is devalued and nothing happened except somebody else posted a bigger fish and good on them for it. It's so sickening because you catch yourself doing it and you're a grown ass man. Oh yeah. And I'm like, come on, dude, <laughs> I don't even care about social media. Why do I care so much that I should be saying, dude, congratulations. That's amazing. You know? And it's meanwhile that, in your head, you're thinking, Oh, that guy's holding it all the way out on his yeah. to the camera. So it looks bigger. I'm like, what no way. Trip. No way. Yeah. 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 It's so stupid. Oh, um, um, so what's next for like, what is next for you? You know, I will say this. Let me give everybody a little tip and, and you can chime in. I mean, your wife's obviously like got the master's degree in this, that LLC thing and creating your own business. This is off topic, but I wish someone would have told me about that a long time ago because the tax write off and the tax thing that like helps out. If any, oh, yeah. like I have a hat on right now. It says Foamer fishing. Anybody? What's up, Steven? Dr. Steven. Um, he, he like, start he's an er doc started as llc commercial fishing like it's yeah. a write-off for everything yeah oh yeah yeah like 100 i'm like all, I, all my hobbies now is it's all ta it's all tax it's seriously it's a like so, my boat oh yeah look at that it's a right, right? Yeah. like so i you know I uh I took a major loss on paper and 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 reasonably so everything is legit, um, yeah. And and so it's like oh how much I made off my company uh, I I literally took in probably with everything like five grand, but on paper yeah I took in five grand but I spent you know thousands of boat like you said the stupid pelagics gas everything guns oh, yeah. wetsuits trips to yeah. mexico yeah business trips to mexico and business trips right any eating out and discussing podcast like oh yeah getting cameras to film this podcast like everything so if oh, any yeah. of you guys want to be a sponsored diver save yourself the time don't be a sponsored diver be an llc diver like yeah seriously yeah it's incredible i mean and it's yeah, totally like, legit it is. It's a hundred percent legit. I mean, my I have an accountant. He does my taxes. It's it's all good. But like, if you think about it, like my hobbies before spearfishing, you know, well, before the spear gun business, they were woodworking and spear guns. So now, literally, my shop is. I haven't. People always ask me how, because that's a very common bit thing. You're like, oh, you started a company. You must be rich now. Like, no. First of all, just no. No, not in spearfishing. There's like five yes, of us that spearfish. Yeah. Second, it's like, so yeah, that's the thing is custom guns is, I always, I always say custom spear guns is a niche market within a niche sport. Like just no. Right. Um, but that being said, I mean, it's, I, I, I've been able to carve out a little space market space, which is cool. Um, but I've gotten my, my shop as all the, all, all the tools I'd ever want now. And there's a few that I still want, but you know, <laughs> gotta work for something. Right. Right. So, so what do you think is next for you? Like, um, do you have like benchmarks that you want to try to do or trips you want to try to do or things that you want to, um, try to do in your own community for your company or just you as a diver? Um, 
really so i guess that's it's a poor business plan to have no plan but re really it's a that's that's my that's that's what got me into this position and has done so good so far um a little bit in, even in my professional world is just kind of being able to be fluid and go with the flow and make game time decisions but really um i'm just enjoying the ride tr just trying to for me i i love the setting my sights on a fish and then trying to build a gun to chase it and then perfect that and just and, and with trips in mind so i had this trip in mind to go down to florida chase wahoo so i built myself a wahoo cannon and still have yet to pull the trigger on it out of fish shot foam with it before but that's about it <laughs> but uh but like really that that's this isn't my this isn't ever gonna going to be my main source of income i have two kids a mortgage a truck and a boat so um really it's it's to it's to i and and, and really it, being part of the community is is really what is an un it's an unknown i think benefit i never saw um besides just being a participant in the spearfishing i like being part of the the local spearfishing community and the spearfishing community as a whole um through it you know i've met guys like yourself guys like even shrek from on the other side of the world i sat down with shrek um had a podcast with him and just spear gun builders throughout across the across the world dude there's there's guys out in australia and new zealand i've talking talked to a lot like my wife's up who, who are you texting now oh matt oh from new zealand yeah that matt <laughs> so uh so being just part of the community is is definitely uh and something I never set out to do, but it just kind of fell into that. So, no, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to talk about that. Um, the spearfishing community in um, Rhode Island, and we and you had mentioned, you know, it's pretty niche, pretty tight group. Um, what are some ways that you think that you um, impact the community or can impact the community in the future? Like, and also how would you describe the spearfishing community? Cause like, I feel like every place is culturally a little different. Um, yeah. Um, the spearfishing community and it's really the, the, just that the Southern new England area, um, it's there, there's a, a thriving dive community. Um, and, and really we have this, this, this wonderful club. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't know what, what's going to come of that club because we can't find someone to be a president. Our old president, he he served his time. He's done a wonderful job, but you know, it's time to focus on family and other other things than running this this huge club with a bunch of members. Um, but really, that that club is is a venue for for newer Spiros to get into the sport and get to um, really that you know it's a it's, it's kind of a daunting task to be you know get into spearfishing and really having that guidance you know from the figuring out what gear you need to, what, what do you really need to know safety wise? And of course people steering you towards taking dive classes and et cetera, and just being a sounding board and people taking you along on trips and giving advice. Um, it's, it's a great community, um, that, that we have here. Um, and it, and I'm, I'm very lucky to be part of it. Um, you know, it, and it just goes beyond just, just the, just the spearfishing um, and mentorship side of it, um, the club and, you know, other local community, um, other companies have really started these outreach programs and, or not outreach programs, like um, trying to help do beach cleanups. Um, there's a couple efforts, um, both from other 
companies uh, around the spearfishing industry and then our spearfishing club as well that do throughout the throughout the year we do uh, beach cleanups um there's a local rhode island business that you know is all about taking trash out of the ocean um it's deep deep apparel it's a uh, like a fishing bra fishing apparel brand they do the deep balloon challenge because you know balloons are probably like the worst thing ever for the one of the it's just, it's just terrible because people do those balloon releases and they all wind up in the ocean so they have the deep balloon challenge on instagram where you do hashtag deep balloon challenge and have pictures of you fishing out balloons just trying to spread awareness of hey idiot don't release balloons um so so that that the environmental side of things is good and then of course um one of the things i want to i want to do and i I've, I've been talking with a couple guys is is really uh to try to spread awareness for um diver safety and, and not less of the the free dive safety because that, that there is a there is i i would first of all first and foremost is take a dive class what you you're not only going to become a better diver but just learn the mechanics and the safety aspect of it the physiology of diving um that that aside is just i i think there is a gap that not a lot of people in the water know just basic first aid um and and one of the initiatives i'm trying to trying to take on and then maybe probably next winter i want to do a diver or a waterman first aid class, you know, basic CPR, because you never know when that can be beneficial, um, but just basic trauma on, all right, complete, completely not a hypothetical situation. I was actually a friend of, it was me and a dive buddy and another guy on our boat, um, guy stuck his foot in a prop. Um, it was winding down. It was, he did not sever his foot off, but he got a pretty nasty, laceration on the top of his foot um i it was actually my dive buddy him and i he just shot a really nice striped bass threw it over the gunnel and was climbing into the boat and we had an inexperienced driver i, I to this day he doesn't know how his foot got cut but it doesn't get cut by the prop not like if the if you just you know Di the, the, di the the foot pockets are pretty hard plastic. You don't cut through one of those with just like nicking your foot on a prop. It just, thing had to have been spinning to a certain degree. But anyway, he shoots this big striped bass, throws it up on the gunnel. He climbs into the boat, cuts his foot in the process. I climb in over the rail and I see blood everywhere. And I'm like, damn, that thing, that thing's bleeding. He's like, he's sitting in the bottom of the boat, holding his foot. He's like, that's not the fish. And it was his foot. Um, the other guy in the boat and him both like start having a panic attack and, and luckily, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I've, I've taken it through, through my, uh, through my school and training. Uh, I've taken some, um, ship's officer medicine one and two, like for basic first aid classes. So I like, it wasn't a big deal. Like I, you know, put, put pressure on it, elevated it. Got the guy, like the guy, other guy who wasn't injured, just snapped him out of it and told him, like, all right, put the goat boat in gear, get us to the marina, I'll deal with him. So we had a first aid kit, cleaned it, put compression on it, wrapped it up in bandages, got him to the dock. It wasn't that big. It, it was bleeding through the bandage a little bit, but, you know, I, I was able to tell him that he didn't break his foot. He probably didn't break his foot. I knew for a fact that he didn't damage any tendons, and he probably didn't have nerve damage. Brought him to the Brought him to the ER. The doctor said exactly what I said. So, um, not trying to again, not trying to toot my horn, but I had some very basic how to deal with bleeding people training. 
Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, whether we're talking about shark bites, propellers, just stabbing yourself with a knife, a dive knife when you're trying to brain a fish flopping around and you're like, there, there is some risk there and just being able to have that basic understanding of what to do when things do go wrong, I think could be very beneficial. So that's something that I think in the next year, I'd like to uh, at least organize. I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I, I, I think that people like you and I and others that have taken the CPR, just basic CPR, uh, basic first aid classes, mm-hmm. um, really do take it for for granted. Um, and so by virtue of being a military contract, I mean, even in the army, like from, I think 18 on maybe even boy scouts, I don't know, but we all, I, I, for, and I'm 44 now, every always had basic first aid and they go over oh, yeah. the scenarios and you go over the scenarios and it's like, okay. And, and all of that, but I've had the same situation uh, multiple times where you had to actually use this and the difference between people that have done it routinely and not it's like the deer in the headlights verse hey go get on the radio activate ems i'll stop the bleeding we'll do this we'll do that and everybody's like okay cool but nobody knows um but but i my experience is like guys didn't know where to start right they were like uh I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. And they're like, okay, cool. And so the guy that knows is in charge. That's fine. But there's been so many times where I've seen it and it could be a basic thing, but it blows me away that, um, I really do take it for granted that. Yeah. And it's well, not and like that's a special course. It's just a basic yeah. course. Exactly. And and really that, and, and this wasn't that bad of an, it could, it had the potential to be a way worse of an injury, but it really wasn't. It just a little bit of blood. But when I came over the rail, those guys <laughs> were just, like you said, deer in a headlight, just, just staring at me. I was like, that was a lot of blood. And they're looking at me like I had three heads. So it's like, yeah. Oh, okay, good. So, um, so yeah, that's, and I've actually been talking, um, with, uh, one of the local divers, um, him and I have dove a couple times together and he's actually just getting out of the coast guard now and really has that, you know, that first responder background. He was, he actually lived out in California, did some surfing out there and was in the coast guard and the forestry service out there. So he has, he has the background and I think he was a paramedic trainer or any, anyway, he has the background. So I think um, being able to organize that with him would be really cool. I think, um, so being in a position where like, you know, any, anyone could organize that, but with my company, I have a little bit, I have a, a, a platform to push that and like make an awareness thing. I think that's, that's something again, like when you talk about plans for the future with the companies, like it really doesn't, I'm not doing it to benefit me, but I think it's, it's something I can do to help benefit the, the larger dive community. I think that's great. I think that's a really good talking point that you brought up and I hope that people will listen. It's so cheap too, to get your first aid. But even oh, yeah. if you don't even dive, get it for your kids, like swimming yeah. pool accidents. I've seen it when I was a little kid. My dad worked uh, and my mom worked in a hospital and uh, there was a little kid that drowned. And it was like my dad was in like did CPR and was like in charge for the sake of being one of the only dudes that knew how to do CPR. 
Right. And it was, uh, and it was just like, and it's funny because I, I guess I don't, and I've always been around guys that my virtue, my work, like where everybody was on the same page. And the one right. time I remember it was something unique. One of our friends, one of our friends had a seizure and it's totally like unforeseen and we were offshore and I had no idea like, and it was kind of like, we were all joking and then he laughed and then seized up and nobody knew what the hell was going on. And I caught him before he fell in the water where we on a rib and we were, and I was kind of like holding him going through the seizure and my other friends are like, what the fuck is going on? And, uh, I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do because it was just like our dive plan that at work we have, you know, we have our emergency dive plans and, and it was just like, because mm-hmm. I rehearse these scenarios, um, in addition to the, the actual, in addition to, um, being, you know, trained and basic. And it's not, like I said before, it's not anything special. It's just like, no. it's very basic. basic. Yeah. Basic lead training. And yeah. ABCs. CPR. Yeah. Super yeah. simple. Um, and going through those, those things. And then also we were doing like, um, Hey, if we're out on the water, like, and I'd, and I'd, and I'd su- suggest this to people too. If you're out on the water and something happens, do you, who are you going to call? What number are you going to call? What radio are you going to, how are you, you know, hail the coast guard, go through those processes just so, oh, yeah. you know, and make sure everybody in the boat is the same, uh, same has the same idea so that, you know, if it's you going down, you know, including your kids, they know how to just get on channel 16, call the coast guard and, and start yeah, this. Actually, that's, that's one of the things that we've been talking about is, is, is not only that first aid, and that's why we want to make it into a waterman safety course type thing. And, and of course it doesn't have to be dive specific. It could be in boaters, fishermen, or right. even surfers. But I mean, there's a lot of scenarios where you, that could be beneficial, but, um, my friend, he's been telling me that because he, of course, he is in the Coast Guard, and he said that's that's a big thing. Is that is that being able to communicate effectively with the first responders, um, getting them the information that they need to know to assess and respond to the situation is critical. And um, it starts, like you said, it starts with Channel 16. If, but right. if you don't know that, yeah, it's interesting right because, like, even surfers, like my boss is a surfer. He had a heart attack in the water, and people like, hey circulation like well what are the symptoms of a heart attack do you know what those are like so how would you yeah. even know where to start right know what's going on and then circulation throw and you can do all of that in the water uh lay them flat on a surfboard and then you know direct someone to get help like all these scenarios which they really do it's funny they sound um like oh okay but those maybe i mean i kind of feel like it's win like not if when that happens because yeah. it will happen like my wife had to give a kid a special needs kid heimlich at subway one day and everybody was standing there like uh they didn't know and he was choking and so she's like oh you know my wife was a medic in the army she's like okay here we go right. one like but um it's so it's interesting that this it's everywhere when you know what's going on you you could save someone's life. What a great opportunity to be a hero. Like, exactly. you know, that's pretty cool to help, to really make help someone. Um, so that's a really good point. Yeah. That's, I would encourage anybody really to do it for your family. Um, cause you never know. Well, is there anything, how do people get in contact with you? We've been talking for about an hour now, a little over an hour, but, 
and uh, I don't want to take any more of your time, but um, how do people, especially in the tri-state area, I guess now it's not tri-state. Yep. Is it tri-state? It is tri-state, yeah. They yeah. say it's tri-state skin divers, but last year we added a couple states, so it's not really tri-state, but you can't see <laughs> the name. So. Yeah, how yeah. do people uh, get, a, get a hold of you? Uh, do you have a website? And... Yeah, I do have a website, OceanStateSpearGuns.com. I, I try to keep that pretty up-to-date and you know provide a lot of information um i have my whole lineup of guns that i've built and really they're custom so they're kind of i try to show the spectrum of guns that i can build um like i do have some merchandise and stuff on there which i've i've actually started to to try to from the marketing standpoint my wife is like you need merchandise to, and i'm like all right all right so i got expensive. i got some yeah oh it, it's so expensive it's so expensive but i can't tell you how many times i've been like I actually I got my guns in a in a surf a local surf shop because of one of my shirts. I was I was kind of halfway grumping at her that I got to get shirts yada yada yada, but I went in to buy a winter wetsuit and uh the owner of the surf shop asked me if he's like, "Hey, I'm trying to get into spear fishing. What's uh, Ocean State Spear Guns?" I'm like, "Well, let me tell you." Um so now he's a good friend of mine and I carry he carries my guns in his shop and we dive together. <laughs> but it all started because of the sh- the shirt and uh I've had many conversations, um, people just asking me about what, what's that. So, um, and really it's, it's kind of fun cause I, I'm a, a little bit artistic. So I like to bring that element and my drawings and stuff to it. Um, but, um, so yeah, I have the website, oceanstatespearguns.com. Um, I also have, I'm pretty active on social media as much as we were talking about as, as much as we hate it. I do hate social media, but it is a great platform. It's a free platform to get visibility for your, for, for a small business. Um, so like my personal account that I, you know, I, I keep with like probably just family and close family and friends. Like I'm very not active on that. I'll probably make, make a post once a, once a month, but like for ocean state spear guns, I'm always trying to show what's up in the shop. You know, it's, it's really a cool platform to show what what's going on in the shop, new guns I'm working on, um, new tools. Just engage with engage with the community. So yeah, I'm OceanStateSpearGuns.com or OceanStateSpearGuns on Instagram and Facebook. So when you built your uh, uh, when you built your website, what platform did you use to build your website? I used Wix. That's it what was, I used. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty easy. Yeah, um, I'm kind of a Neanderthal with a computer. Me too. Yeah, um, but I. The integration I found with like uh, like the web stores and um, I've actually been able to link it to like print on demand t-shirt companies, which actually kind of helped with the apparel cost of apparel um, that it, it integrated pretty well. So um, yeah, very, yeah, very I, cool. But yeah, really, really, when it comes down to it, every single one of my guns starts off with a conversation. I don't, I don't, you can't click a button and buy one of my guns. Um, so I, I've sold guns to people for, strictly through DMs on Instagram, like, and that's it. Never talk to them, but really, or, or I, I mean, I have my, my phone number on there and your email and really just having that. I really like that. That's my favorite is that two way dialogue. What are you, what are you hunting? How are you hunting? Um, is there any, there's guys who've come to me with, I'm actually building a gun right now with a guy who has some pretty bad, uh, tendon damage, actually a guy out in California, actually. Um, he has some tendon issues that he cannot deal with recoil and he does not want a roller gun. So he, so I'm building this gun. It's the chunkiest, fattest gun ever. But the whole reason behind it is I made it super fat and buoyant so I can load it up with, it has six, 15 and a half ounces of lead in it. 
and it's a 90 centimeter gun. So usually I have like maybe an ounce or two just to ballast it properly, but to ballast it properly, I put a pound of lead in it. And the whole point was, you know, to increase the mass of the gun. So there's less felt recoil. Um, but, but that's all the things you can do with a custom gun builder that you couldn't any custom gun builder really. But, um, um, I really do enjoy that talking to the, the customer and really building them a gun, exactly what they want. Um, whether it be colors, graphics, I mean, I do, um, wood burning. I, that's another thing I didn't really plan for. And I just fell into wood burning. Um, and, uh, I, I put some pretty intricate and ornate wood burnings on guns. So trying to deliver a unique product. Um, and it all co starts with conversation. Very cool. I mean, uh, well, real quick, one thing you mentioned your, your Wahoo gun that you built. What were, what are some specifics about your Wahoo gun that you kind of, when you made it that you were thinking about in mind? Um, well, I got, I kind of have a, um, a mentor for that, that um, Cameron Kirkconnell actually went to the same school as I did the U S merchant Marine Academy. And uh, uh, a couple of years back out of the blue, I, I, I reached out to him and said, asked him if I could send him a gun and if he could shoot it and really give me some feedback, you know, uh, pluses and minuses, what, what, what the gun needed to improve. Um, and from that, from that conversation, he, he was very gracious. And he, uh, he, he looked at my guns even before I sent him one. He's like, all right, you need to go with the cuttlefish design. Like, forget, forget the squared gun. If people want custom guns, they're going to want a cuttlefish. So that's really what the catalyst to go towards the cuttlefish shape that I've used since then has really taken over my, 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 um, the, the repertoire of guns that I've built. Um, so I built him a couple of those. Um, and then recently I was chatting with him and he, he's like, Hey, I want a Wahoo gun, build me a Wahoo gun. So I sat down with him, um, and really laid out, it was a refi we refined the cuttlefish shape that he I had given to him for a smaller reef gun really tweaked it to um the wahoo hunting we got we specced it out you know the right size handle location and just making it as slim and not bulky as possible but still maintaining a decent amount of mass to handle that recoil of four big bands um so that's kind of what the cuttlefish gun is uh it i the beauty the beauty of that design is i can scale it up I've, i have a little cut a 65 centimeter cuttlefish and i have a 72 inch cuttlefish so really runs the gamut and you really you can tailor it to whatever scenario you're hunting how long is that wahoo gun is that 72 inches or what yeah it's a 72 inch right it's, for the, it's huge for the blue water uh range yep it's and, and, that, and then of course it has an enclosed track and all what so size shaft does it shoot it's got an 11 32nd shaft okay um, I scaled one down. Uh, he actually wanted a second one. He wanted one a little smaller than that, um, shooting a five sixteenth shaft. Yeah, because um, those are a little bit easier to find. Those five sixteenth shafts, those eight millimeter shafts, eight point five or something. I don't know. Um, they, uh, I feel like they're like the best all around shaft. It'll do a. I mean, you can yeah. pretty much shoot anything with that if you get it within range. Um, I I don't know if you've looked on YouTube. There's a there's a Kuwaiti. I think he's Kuwaiti mm -hmm. guy on YouTube that does a lot of all in pool testing. Yeah, yeah, and he does all kinds of really cool like penetration tests from um, 
uh, like eight millimeter shaft, one band, two bands, three bands, and then he brings it in. And, and it's like the one thing that he found was more important than anything. And I, I talked to Chris Coates about this as well, is that range. Like if you can get a fish, the closer that will have the biggest impact on anything. And it makes total sense when you're thinking about hydrodynamics and oh yeah, water's really dense. Yeah, and it makes total sense that more importantly than anything is getting that fish in close, see the details yeah. of the eye, close the distance, and even uh, Terry Moss was talking about that, just sprinting at that big tuna right at the last point and just go, you know. Yeah, and and I, it's funny you brought that guy up. But like, that's a lot of the stuff I'm like an engineer by, by degree. And that's what I, that's my job. And I, I wish I had time in my life to do stuff like that. I have, I have like a whole notes sheet of experiments that I would love to do with guns and do R and D stuff. But. Well, I know like I have a pool, a community pool and every yeah. now and then I'll get into it and test, but it's like, I got to pay the guard off or something or make sure it's winter time and cold. There's nobody interested in going in there because yeah. you get like weirded out when some guy's bringing all these guns in the pool to shoot. Oh my um, God. People, I can't tell you how many people thought I was actually carrying firearms, walking around with guns, like in my work parking lot, you know, I work at a defense plant and right. walking around with a spear gun. And I had security called on me cause I was walking around with a big, big gun with an AR 15 handle. On it yeah. It's that and like even going to other countries and I see that handle, they freak out. But uh, okay. and they're like, is it loaded? I'm like, it's not. It's a simply a rubber band gun, and yeah. it's not loaded. I've had to fight the post office about that before. You need to be an FFL. I'm like, no, I don't. Yeah, it. it I don't understand. I mean, yeah, and it's, it's. I guess they're intimidating because they're so big, right? It's like they this are. giant. Like, what the hell, you know? Especially with our California asses with these giant guns, but. I mean, yeah. spending three hours in a pool shooting goes by so quick. When I start playing yeah. with everything, I bring like three guns, four guns, and just shoot, shoot, shoot. Um, I mean, you could literally spend and that uh, just days in there testing. And I know that Kuwaiti dude. I think he's Kuwaiti. Yeah. Um, it's funny because spending so much time in the Middle East, I was like that. The architecture, everything is exactly the same, all in that ring, oh, yeah. the Gulf there. Uh, and uh, seeing him just shooting there, and he's his own pool. It's warm, and he's just doing. I'm like, I would be doing the exact same shit if I oh, was. Oh yeah, him. yeah. Meanwhile, I, in the winter time, because I, I test fire all my guns. Meanwhile, in the winter time, I have to throw my seven mil on, run into the. I have a marina. Luckily, I spearfish one with the the dock master and. Of course, it's the winter time. All the boats are pulled, and I was like, "Hey, can I go test today?" And he's like, "Sure." And it's like, "You're an idiot, but sure, whatever." <laughs> so I run out, and I have a little, uh, like a, a foam kickboard that I have weighted down. I throw that down one the end of one one uh, one dock, and then I run to the next dock and jump in. And I got like 15 minutes of testing before it just becomes unmanageable. But, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I made the mistake. I must have missed that chapter on how to be us. The spear gun builder in New England when I read that book. Oh yeah. <laughs> well yeah, I guess you could just get you you gotta you gotta deal with a cold period, you know? I mean Oh yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. Like I said, going back to my wife, I don't know how you get motivated. I'm like you don't think about it, you just go. No. Yeah. If you take just, your shirt just... off, it's cold, the only way to get warmer is to put your wetsuit on like quickly. Yep. Or, so then you can pee. Yeah, so you can pee or do it at the house. So yeah. Well, I appreciate um, 
you taking the time to speak with me and I appreciate you reaching out and uh, sharing your insight. Um, so thank you, Matthew. Um, and uh, thanks for taking the time. I you know me. I, I always will love to talk about spear guns. It's kind of my, my obsession. No, I, I understand. That's why I have a podcast, I guess. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. That concludes the show for today. Thanks Matthew for being on the show and sharing a little bit of your Northeast knowledge there. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And also, if you have suggestions for upcoming shows that you want to hear, let me know. um, Check out the Instagram account, The Spear Factor. Uh, Also, um, I heard recent requests for having Killshot um, on the show, and I will do my best to make that happen. So take care. Thanks for listening. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, Floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.